This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by the Top Producer Summit, held February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Register now for a schedule packed with the nation's top farmers and leaders speaking on important industry topics. All at the 2024 Top Producer Summit in KC. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. It's happened again. Hundreds of people are wandering around Rob's front yard out on his farmstead about five miles outside of Lamar's, Iowa. It's a tradition about three decades old now, and it all began with one farm family who put up Christmas lights around their home and barns. Today is a free attraction that brings hundreds of people here almost every night, and it's raising donations for local causes. It's one of our stories for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by the 2024 Top Producer Summit. I'm a farmer that likes to learn, and there are a lot of options out there, both online and in person, to gain knowledge on all kinds of topics that impact agriculture and beyond. One place I'll be this winter to grow and learn is the Top Producer Summit, February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Each year, you can count on the Top Producer Summit to bring together some of the nation and world's top farmers and ag leaders to discuss, share, and learn from one another. It's a jam-packed schedule with topics of interest to just about everyone. With a location central in the country, it's a place many of us can get to without a long trip. I'll be at the Top Producer Summit once again, and I hope you'll join me to get the latest tips and trends on critical topics in agriculture. Just go online to register for the Top Producer Summit 2024 in Kansas City. Rob Scheitler did not set out to create an attraction. He was just putting up some Christmas lights around his farm. What began in 1995 seems to grow each year, and the crowds are growing as well, with lines of cars stretching down his gravel road outside of Lamar's, Iowa, making their way up to his home where they park their vehicle and then begin to wander around his front yard on trails he's created. It's a pretty magical place, more so because it's all free and simply raises donations to help local causes. I think you'll enjoy hearing Rob's story. Well, Rob, take me back to the mid-1990s. What's going on? Are you, you must have liked Christmas lights at the beginning somehow. I started hanging Christmas lights when I was a kid on our family farm just down the road. And it grew from there. And pretty soon my dad got into it. And we had lights on all the farm buildings, the fence lines, um, tractors, wagons. And then in 1995, we moved on to, into our new home here on the property. And we took everything from our family farm and brought it with us, and we started Christmas Acres. Um, it started out very small, and it has grown over the years to what we have today. Whenever you started that, then it was just for the joy of doing it. And were you doing it all on your own then when you started? Yeah, yeah. I did this all on my own. It was just for fun. And, and that, you know, and when we did it on our family farm, we had people that come out and see the lights, and, you know, and, and one year our local newspaper did a story on us uh, out there, but. This started for fun. We never had no intention to be one of Iowa's largest Christmas displays today. <laughs> well, even when you moved into the new house, was it just kind of just setting up? Did you At that point, were you, I mean, you didn't discourage people from coming, but did you oh. ever imagine they would come? No, you know, and of course, we're close to the highway. And so people would see the lights. And of course, the trees were small. Um, and all the landscaping was barely even started. But yeah, what few lights we had out here and a few of the blow, old blow molds. Um, people would drive down, come off the highway and drive down the road and look at it. 
And then as the years progressed, and pretty soon we started getting more and more stuff, and this got bigger and bigger, and the trees started getting bigger. It's like, wow, I think we've started something. <laughs> when you started this, you weren't married yet, is that right? No, nope, I was not married yet. Did, did your wife know what she was marrying into? Oh, yeah, yeah, she knew. Um, and, of course, my wife, Joyce, is behind-the-scenes type person, and so uh, she helps out a lot. She helps. She, she even buys stuff. Uh, people will tell her, hey, you need to go check this out and you might find some more stuff. And, and but she's behind the scenes. Talk about that because you've got a lot of things that have been donated to you over oh. here from all types of places. We have, you know, we've got 929 plastic blow molds out here this year. We've got uh, 93 street pool decorations out here, 170 lighted sculptures, we estimate, plus so much more. And most of what you see here at Christmas Acres has all been donated. I come home several nights and I'll have stuff laid on my driveway. And sometimes with a note, you know what? If you can use it, use it. If you can't, then, you know, pass it on to somebody else or go to Goodwill. Talk about the process of this because you start how early in the year to get ready for the Christmas? You know, we years ago, we used to start Labor Day weekend. And then, you know, that was good enough. Now we're starting as early as August 11th this year we started. And it takes us all the way up to the week before we get we're ready to open, and sometimes we're not even ready yet. And that, and we always open the weekend before Thanksgiving. And now it's just like, oh wow, you know what? It's earlier, earlier. And last year the weather was kind. Of, you know, we had bad weather last year, and we didn't get everything down and put away to almost the first of May. And here we are, we're hauling it all back out again in all, the first part of August. <laughs> and that, so it's a labor of love. So, any estimate on how many lights that you have here? We estimate this year we have 300,000 lights or more. I'm covering all the trees, the bushes, the fences. Um, there's, like I said, there's 929 plastic glow molds, 170 some lighted sculptures. We got 93 old street pool decorations have been donated, and every year just keeps going. We've got stuff at the farm that has never been up here yet. And so we will gradually get there. Thought about where we're at because here, just out in the country roads, I mean, how long will the line sometimes be? Just vehicles. So we are a half mile off Highway 3, like this past weekend. The traffic is backed up bumper to bumper for five hours from our driveway all the way back to the highway. And it's like that every Friday and Saturday night, as long as the weather's nice. Um, the year of 2020, COVID year, this was absolute Christmas chaos. Uh, traffic was backed up to the highway and actually down the highway in both directions for five hours almost every night. But people can park their cars and they just walk up here. Yeah. yeah. So about, I want to say probably eight years ago, the idea of putting in walking paths came to be. We had people, we allowed them to always walk the yard, but, you know, we got so much out here. And then with safety reasons, with the, all the cords and that, so we decided to put in walking paths. And now that is the hit. So people park on the other side of the road. And they get out and they walk up and down the paths in our driveway and they come to see it up close. I tell everybody, if you want to see this, see it up close and walk. And you'd be surprised how many people come out here, even in the daylight, just to walk and see this up close. And they just shake their head. <laughs> Talk about what you do. You do not charge, but yet you are raising money for a lot of the houses over the years. So we don't charge for this. This is all a free will donation. And so in 2012, we started taking donations because we always had people come to our front door and want to give us money. And we refused. And it got to the point where people were kept coming and kept coming. And so my wife, Joyce, said, if they're going to come to the door and want to hand us money, 
then we're going to, we're going to do this as a charity. And so in 2012, we started this as a charity and we gave to a place called the Christian Needs Center in Mars. And so from 2012, all the way up to last year, uh, we gave them $131,000 in donations that we took in just from this. Um, the family decided um, it's time to move on and do something different. And so this year, all of our donations go now to our local fire rescue and to a place called Wet Nose, which is a rescue for pets. One year, they paid off all of the kids' lunches? Yeah. In 2020, we took in $41,000. Unbelievable. Just by a little box at the end of our driveway. And so that went to, all the money went to Christian Needs to buy, like I said, um, you know, food for the needy, clo- um, coats and gloves for the kids. And there was money left over to pay off unpaid lunch balances in all the schools in Plymouth County. Talk about you, you, you and your wife have quite a baking business here. Yeah, well, nine years ago, we start, my wife started this small little thing of going to a farmer's market. And that turned into something that uh, that has grown and took taken on a life of its own. And so in 2020, COVID year again, I came up with this idea. What if we turned our garage into a bake shop? And so we did, and it was a hit. And so for the last three years, our every Friday and Saturday night, our garage turns into the Scheidler Bake Shop. So we call it the Scheidler Bakers from Christmas Acres. And it's got a little ring to it, uh, but now we are known for our baked goods. And now that's turned into a full-time side business. Yeah, that's year-round for you. And now it's a year-round side business, yes, for us. (laughs) Um, Me and my wife work. We both work. She works for Mid-American Energy. I work for Wells, Blue Bunny, and that. And so we do that on the side. We've kind of alluded to this, but this is all in your front yard. I mean, what's it like having everybody in your front yard, you know, for over a month? Oh, I think it's great. Um, If it was my way, we'd we'd do this year-round if I could. But, you know, it comes to a time where it's time to take it all down and put it away for another year. But, yeah, I mean, we could do our entire yard all the way to the back and and have walking paths all the way around the entire property. But um, what we do now is enough um, uh, that because this is all being fed by 20 po- 25 power feeds coming out to feed the display. We're in all the neighbor's fields across the road into the neighbor's fields. We're into our fields to the south, you know, on that. So it's. It is, it is quite the thing, now, what it's growing, growing into. Talk about just the feeling of seeing so many people come out uh, and enjoy this. It's something you can't describe. Um, oh, sorry. No. Um, to have kids actually hanging out the windows, and they know on weekends when the kids come, this is what they're getting, candy canes. And so we have 5,000 candy canes sitting here just for this year alone. And to see the, to see the people come to see Christmas lights, and the kids hanging out of the windows. And we have people that drive five to six hours one way to come to this. I mean, it's something. It is, it's, it's a labor of love. And we have three little letters in our driveway. And we say, when you leave Christmas Acres, we hope that you have a smile on your face and joy in your art. And that's what those three letters spell in our, in our driveway up there is joy. In the second half of this week's show, we travel the countryside for another piece with ties to Christmas. A lot of communities in the U.S. will have a visit from Santa. It's a chance for the kids in the area to come meet St. Nick and make their requests known. So perhaps it's not that unusual the situation occurred here around Fairbanks, Alaska. But what does make this story unique is what resulted from one man who played the role of Santa and really looked the part to boot. Of course, it didn't hurt that this all took place in a town named North Pole. 
Paul Brown is the grandson-in-law of Con Miller, and he shares the story of a place I've visited twice now and always enjoy, a place called Santa Claus House. Take me back to, uh, believe, the 1950s when uh, some of your in-laws first came here, and, and I don't think they were setting out to become Santa Claus, but it turned out they did. It, it was, it's actually a really funny story. So um, Con and Nellie Miller, who are the founders of Santa Claus House, they arrived in Alaska actually in 1949, shortly after World War II, and Con was kind of looking for adventure. He had just recently gotten out of the military. They wanted to do something different. Alaska was kind of the, the new cool thing tail end of the 40s, early 50s, having been opened up with Alcan Highway construction in World War II. So they kind of moved up here on a whim, almost as an adventure. And Khan actually promised Nellie that they would only stay five years. So they arrived in, in interior Alaska in 1949 and uh, opened up kind of a, a clothing store in, in uh, Fairbanks area. And, you know, did that for a little while. Um, the store itself didn't do too well, but Khan became kind of a merchant and fur buyer. So he would travel to some of the surrounding villages a lot of Alaska's off the road system, so it was a situation where he would have to fly in, and he would be, you know, merchant and fur buying and things of that sort. Well, one one year, he uh, or one day, I should say, he found a, an old Santa suit in an inventory that he had bought, kind of a closeout inventory from one of the other stores. So, kind of his his nature or his shtick, I guess, he would dress up as Santa Claus when he was traveling to the villages. And he was kind of the first Santa Claus that a lot of the village children in Alaska had ever seen. So he kind of got the reputation as being Santa Claus. So the merchant and fur buying and traveling and things like that got a little tiresome to him. So they moved to the area, which at the time was not North Pole. It was just kind of the outskirts of Fairbanks, way, way outskirts of Fairbanks. He decided to build a trading post in, in the uh, North Pole area. And one day while he was building the trading post, there were some of the village kids that had known him as Santa Claus. They drove by and they called out, hello, Santa Claus, are you building a house? Hence the name Santa Claus House. So it, it really started, Santa Claus House really started out as kind of a trading post. It was a general store, soda fountain, things like that. It was more focused on kind of the, because North Pole was so far out of Fairbanks, it, it became kind of the gathering area, you know, again, general supplies and things like that for locals. And then, you know, over the years, as Ielson Air Force Base built up outside of the North Pole area in Fort Wainwright, you had quite a few more military people coming in and out. You had a lot more uh, Alaska highway traffic. So it kind of took on a kind of a tourism-oriented focus. There were a lot of visitors, a lot of, you know, new airmen to Ielson thought it was really cool. They would send things to friends and family back home that came from North Pole. You know, you had a lot more traffic on the Alaska highways. It got developed a little more for tourism traffic. So it really grew and changed over the course of probably late 50s, early 60s. It grew into more of a tourism-oriented focus, more of a general kind of a gift store more than a general store. So. The, the town of North Pole had been here before. Is there any reason behind the name of North Pole, uh, Alaska? Sure. It's actually it's kind of an interesting story, and it's hard to pinpoint the exact true story but you know a couple of the different stories that are going around is north pole at the time that con and moved out here was not called north pole there was another uh, gentleman in the area that had a homesteaded um, named bond davis so it was known as the davis subdivision or the davis homestead davis siding the railroad came through at the same right around the same time so it was kind of davis crossing is one of the names and bond davis didn't really care for 
I guess, for being known for the entire town. He just wanted to do his thing and go on his way. So there were conversations at the time with some of the early families about what should we call the area, you know, what's a good name for the area. And, you know, names were tossed around like Mosquito Junction and some, you know, some other Alaskan-type names. And, um, you know, there was conversation about how can we attract industry to the area. Well, there was a development company that came up from somewhere in the States, I don't recall where, Dahl and Gasky Development, and they were looking at buying large parcels of property, and they were also looking at how do we attract industry, you know, manufacturers and things like that. And somewhere in the course of the conversation, one of the reasons, the legend is one of the reasons it was called North Pole is it was consistently colder than anywhere else in the interior. So, if you, you know, if you look at weather data, we're usually 7 to 10 degrees colder than even Fairbanks, which is only 15 miles away. So the North Pole name kind of stuck. Dahl and Gasky, the development corporation, liked the idea. Um, Khan obviously liked the idea because he was known as Santa Claus. So the store, Santa Claus House was actually incorporated in 1952, which is before North Pole even became North Pole. And then, you know, the conversations were happening in January of 1953. Khan actually hand-delivered the paperwork to Juneau, the capital of, at the time, the territory of Alaska. He delivered the paperwork for incorporation to incorporate it as North Pole. And the thought process, obviously he had his own reasons for it, but the thought process with Dahl and Gasky Development Corporation is that you could attract toy manufacturers up here. You know, toy manufacturers would love to have products that were made in North Pole. How cool is that? Unfortunately, that never really took off. There, there's quite a bit of burden to enter or barriers to entry for manufacturers in Alaska just because of shipping costs and high costs of goods and things like that. But it worked out good for Khan's reasons with Santa Claus House. So, But somewhat by accident, really. It, it really was. It was kind of by accident. You know, and there were conversations in the 50s. Obviously, it didn't happen until the later 50s when um, Disneyland was developed. But there was kind of a movement even before Disneyland happened. Down in the States, a lot of people were looking at North Pole and Santa Land and some of these different kind of ideas for theme parks or amusement, par- amusement parks at the time. And that was, you know, kind of the, the thought process with North Pole is that after the toy manufacturing didn't work out, maybe we could work on getting a theme park or an amusement park or something like that, like a Santa Land mm-hmm. here in North Pole. Um, so that was kind of the direction that, that everything was headed unfortunately with how far we are away from the continental u.s and all the tourism numbers we never got the numbers for that to fully flesh out but you know santa claus house is still here 60 years later sure well and over time then this transition from a trading post into something that's kind of christmas year round yeah it really is and as i mentioned you know we started out as a general trading post took kind of a more uh, tourism oriented and one of the things that we've been doing since the very beginning as i mentioned a lot of the airmen from Isleson air force base would want to get cards and letters and things like that sent back to friends and family at christmas time from north pole so there was really you know con recognized an opportunity and one of the things we've done since the very beginning is our letters from santa that we do so you know your letters come from santa claus house in north pole alaska it became a really big product for him almost not to the exclusion, but it was it was obviously a much bigger opportunity than just being a trading post for, you know, at the time, a couple of hundred people. Um, you know, the tourism focus happened again as the Alcan was developed. So throughout the 60s and 70s, the letters from Santa really built up from that point, and it gave... The letters from Santa, especially in the mail order business that he did, gave them the opportunity or the revenue, generated enough revenue so that that Santa Claus House could be developed more. Um, You know, but while we're still primarily a gift shop, you can still visit Santa here all year round. We've got live reindeer outside that you can, you know, you can get in the pen and pet the reindeer and a lot of big, you know, 
um, photo opportunities and things of that sort outside that you can see. So it's it's more than just a gift shop. Sure. Do you have to continue to uh, update what happens at Santa Claus House, or is Christmas so traditional that it remains a lot the same over the years? You know, a lot of it remains the same, and some of the things, especially, as I mentioned, the Santa letters that we do, one of the things that's great about our Santa letters is we have been doing them since the 1950s, since the very beginning. So generations of families have received these letters, and we're very careful to keep it similar where, you know, when a, a granddaughter or a grandchild or grandson or or whoever receives a letter, they can look at it and say, this is the same letter that my parents received, the same letter that my grandparents received 50, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So some of it we're very careful to protect a legacy. Um, as far as the store and the, and the property itself, obviously we want to do keep it fresh but it's you know it's really interesting to see and i know you had had come here years and years and years ago you see a lot of people that have come up here that were here 20 30 40 years ago and it really is it's i guess it's almost timeless i think you know the magic of christmas is it doesn't matter the age you are you get into the christmas spirit so we try to freshen up the product offering but the actual christmas holiday spirit itself we're very careful to protect what is Christmas itself like at Santa Claus House on Christmas here? It, it gets, as you can imagine, it gets pretty crazy around here. Um, you know, we don't, we don't get the summer tourism numbers that we get, but we do have a lot of local families. We've got an Army base and an Air Force base nearby, so you get a lot of visiting friends and family. Um, one of the opportunities for us is, is being so far from the continental U.S. or from, from the rest of the country, I guess, our our internet mail order business is a pretty big thing. So it's interesting the store while it's, or the business while it's crazy with people visiting, we're actually busier with our mail order and things of that sort, kind of spreading the Christmas joy around the world. You know, and, and I mentioned the letters from Santa and some of the product that we sell, we have sent it, sent letters to probably every country in the world. So it's, uh, it's pretty crazy around here. A lot of it's behind the scenes that people don't typically see. Santa obviously has big lines of kids that are wanting to give them their wish list. So, Does it take quite a big staff to be able to handle all the letters because you do so many? It, it does. It takes a pretty, a pretty big staff. And as I mentioned, it's behind the scenes, so a lot of people don't see it. But, you know, we have a call center that's staffed seven days a week, and we have to match you know, the time zones across the, actually across the world. So, um, pretty big staff, pretty long hours. Um, one of the interesting things is that North Pole, Alaska, a lot of people wonder what happens to the letters that kids write that are, that they just addressed to Santa Claus and put North Pole on there. And a big chunk of those, um, last number I heard was four to 500,000 letters, you know, on a little tiny town like North Pole, the population 2,200 people. That's uh, quite a burden on the Postal Service here. So, um, you know, a lot of those letters that kids write and just write Santa Claus North Pole will come to here to North Pole, Alaska. We get a lot of them here at the store, especially, you know, if kids write Santa Claus house or anything like that, that we'll, we'll forward them here. So we get a lot of incoming mail, too. And while Santa can't respond to every one of those letters, he actually will read every single letter that comes through the doors here that's written. Um, you know, and as I mentioned, parents parents can help Santa Claus respond to the letters from their children by getting on our website. Um, so that, you know, that definitely keeps us busy during the holiday season. We, we really enjoy the holiday season, but we certainly look forward to January. You know, even though it's, even though it's called here in North Pole, we refer to that as vacation time. So it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. 
Well, and this is the one place where Santa Claus, you can see him 365 days a year. Is that right? You can. He's he's in the star during the kind of the peak of summer season, um, you know, the 100 days Memorial Day to Labor Day, and then again during the holiday season. And you'll see him running around North Pole just like a, a regular person. You know, you'll run into him at the grocery store or the post office. or that's. I think that's what a lot of the kids that live in North Pole really enjoy about is that they can run into Santa Claus at, at the post office or, you know, at the grocery store or out checking his mail. So it's it's pretty it's a unique place to live. Well, and I'm sure it's a unique uh, role being a part of this this family. You have quite a legacy that you continue to share with people around the world. It is. It's uh, you know I mentioned to you that that I married into the family and and it's uh, it's it's a really cool family business. And you know we're my wife is actually a third generation of the Miller family. My kids are seven and twelve now, and they help out around the store. So it's really kind of transitioning into the fourth generation. It really is a big legacy for a small town like North Pole. Um, it's a pretty major presence and has a pretty big impact on the North Pole area. Thanks for joining me on this Christmas edition of our show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and follow me on LinkedIn as well. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And if you miss one of these shows, be sure to go to farmingthecountryside.com where you can scroll through the archives to listen to past shows or just use your favorite podcast platform to do the same. I appreciate you joining me, and I hope you have a good Christmas and a happy new year. I'm Andrew McCray. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by the Top Producer Summit, held February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Register now for a schedule packed with the nation's top farmers and leaders speaking on important industry topics, all at the 2024 Top Producer Summit in Kansas City.